0: Good morning. It's still morning. God bless each and every one of you. It's so good to be in God's house. You deserve a special prize, like a, like, a, like a popsicle prize or something like that, you know, like an icicle with a red ribbon on it. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're in God's house, and we're glad to be here. This time of year is so important to us because we just... We just talk about Jesus. It's his birth. And birthdays are interesting, and birthdays are blessed, and birthdays are special. And this is the season and the time of the birthday of Jesus. Isn't that marvelous? I am a very powerful woman. Watch out. Among the, among the names given to Jesus in Isaiah 9, when it speaks about Emmanuel, when it speaks about the coming of this precious, precious Messiah, one of the names is wonderful. And it's so interesting because I think I've said this before. And it, uh, well, well, this is where it's written. It's written in the bulletin, and if you open up, in Isaiah 9, 6, Christ is seen as wonderful, one of the titles of Messiah. To me, wonderful sounds like a 20th century word or expression, yet 4,000 years ago, a Jewish prophet used it to describe Jesus. Wonderful was his divine arrival, the virgin shall give birth. Wonderful would be his mission. He will save his people from their sins. Wonderful would be his miracles. The lame would walk, the blind would see, and unto the poor the kingdom of God would be preached. Everything about Jesus Christ our Lord is truly wonderful. Humility was his trademark. Never did he spark a ruckus. Never was he picking an argument for argument's sake. He was tender, tender enough to be loved by children, and there were always many surrounding him. To the extent that the disciples would scoot them away, Jesus stopped the disciples and said, "'Let the children come unto me, "'for of such is the kingdom of God.'" Politicians kiss babies because it looks good and brings in votes. Jesus loved children to walk by their side from sunrise to sunset. He wanted to see them through a life of strength and grace. Our secret in this life is to behold him. He holds the power to make us more than conquerors. He heals our body. He fills us with the Holy Spirit and gives us his mind to see and understand life better. He is wonderful, Shouted from the rooftops. Keep Jesus in your life in such a way that people see the wonder of his power every time they look at you. Even when we fail, he's there to pick us up. We have everything we could ever dream of in our savior, more than we could fathom. Worship him, he is worthy and he is wonderful. Hallelujah. And just say that. Jesus is wonderful. Yes, He is. He is wonderful. And now I'd like to just talk about why. Why is He called wonderful? And I think uh, when this day is over, make sure you pick up a tape only because so much is said that can't be grasped in just the moments that we have together. But if you could rehear it, if you could just listen to it again and again, I'm sure it'll bless your heart. Jesus is wonderful. Now why one of the, what, what's so wonderful about him? Well, he's the greatest communicator that ever lived. The greatest communicator that ever lived. There is no philosopher, there isn't any historian, there isn't any politician, There isn't any great, whether it be an Alexander the Great or whoever called themselves the Great. No one communicated like Jesus. And the beauty of his communication is that it goes on. Others, you can read about it, you can check it out in public libraries, but Jesus, his truth is still with us. The greatest communicator that has ever lived. Our search is over. You see, the Greeks were looking for the perfect man. That's what the Greeks were looking for, the perfect man. The man with the perfect philosophy. The man that could teach them and give them uh, an idea, a concept, a, a livable premise on which they could establish their life and be filled with joy. They never, they never found it because it certainly is not in the philosophies of life or in the great teachers out of the Grecian world. He's the greatest communicator. Why? Because he is the perfect man. I love that. He was the perfect man. And being like us, perfect, that's a heavy duty situation, folks. It wasn't total God. It was God-man. It was feeling your weaknesses. Understanding your flesh. Yes. It was knowing what it is to be tempted. It was standing the pressures of temptation. And his pressures were multiplied in comparison to ours. Yet. Let me tell you what was so wonderful about him. A wonderful communicator, yes. But have you ever heard somebody speak that you didn't understand? Isn't it amazing? And the least you understand, the more you like them because you don't want those around you to think you're stupid. So you say, oh, isn't that mmm? Oh, isn't that mmm? Oh, my, he's so moving. No, just full of baloney. That's usually what it is. Because you see, the more a person knows, the more he brings his knowledge down to the ears of the person that steps on the first step ladder or first step of life. A good communicator is not sparkling with big words. A good communicator is not one that confuses your mind. A good communicator is not one with the, uh, the last uh, spark uh, of whatever is in the air. No. A good communicator is a person that can tell you something and you understand it. Isn't that a miracle? To understand is one of the most important things. Can you imagine somebody talking to you for an hour and you didn't understand a thing? That, that is, that, that's wild, folks. That is wild. And sometimes you gotta gotta be part of the lunacy, the idiocy of this age uh, uh, to really come across and say, I enjoyed it. How can you enjoy something you don't even understand? It's crazy, isn't it? Jesus spoke so people could understand. And not only did he speak so that people could understand, even when he spoke, some still didn't understand him. His disciples were continuously asking him, oh, please uh, explain this, explain that, explain the other thing. In the scripture that's key for today would be partially the end of, don't look for it now, you'll find it at home because it's there. The end of Matthew 17 and the beginning and the total part of Matthew 18. The disciples come to Jesus and they've got a question. They say, uh, well, they don't have the question, a man came up to him and said, look, I took my son, who is demon-possessed, to your disciples, and they couldn't cast the demon out. And Jesus cast the demon out, returned the son to the father, and they left. And the disciples are a little annoyed. Wouldn't you be annoyed? You see, they had done it before. They had been commissioned before. They had gone out to the villages in Jesus' name. And they had cast out demons. They came back so happy happy, that that's when Jesus said to them, look, don't be happy that demons are cast out. Be happy that your name be written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, let's talk about the real things to be happy about. It's not what you can do. It's who you are. That's what you've got to be happy about. Now, there's a problem. They went under direct commissioning. They were sent by the master and they believed his word. Hey, folks, we have a commission to go forth. A great commission to go forth. But can I tell you something? You can either go forth as a great imitator or you can go forth as a personal Holy Ghost-filled person of Jesus. You say, well, well, Pastor Amy, weren't the disciples? Listen, they were at a stage where they wanted to do everything he did. And he says, okay, I'm going to let you do it. Don't Don't worry. Go out. And then sometimes he told them, don't take too much. In other words, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. But go ahead, go out. And when they came back, they always had little snares like this which bothered them. They don't come out. Sometimes the demons don't obey us. In other words, Jesus, ¿qué pasa? What's wrong? Isn't isn't this straight across the board? Uh, Doesn't this work every time? Hey, folks, let me tell you something. When you lack substance and become an imitator, it depends upon where you are and who's listening to you as to what will happen. Now, I, I, know, I know you're gonna say, well, uh, you're confusing us. I haven't started to confuse you. Just keep listening. I really mean that. There is just something about us. It's something about us that we would like to be snapshots We'd like to click our fingers and make Christianity happen. We'd like to be, you know, people that have two guns. And we'd like to shoot from the hips and say, this is Jesus. Pop, pop. No, that's not Jesus. But that's what we think. And when they said to him, the father says to Jesus, why couldn't your disciples take care of this? And then the disciples came and said, why couldn't we take care of this? And Jesus has answers like cries from in here. Belly cries. You know, there are times you don't cry with tears. You cry with your guts. You cry with your innermost being. You cry with a, with a, with a, a destruction in here. Because the tears can flow on emotion. But when you get twisted up in here, it's something that's happening to your spirit. So hang in there. God's teaching you something. His disciples question, why can't we cast them out? We did it before, how come we can't do it now? Well, right now you're imitators. But one of these days you're going to be sent out in my name. And you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're going to see what you have never done before or ever seen before. Right now I walk beside you. And you don't cast them out, I'll cast them out. But it's going to be a time. When you are so filled with my substance, so filled with my life, so surrendered to who I am, you will start to live and look and feel and act like me. And you won't be imitating, you will be growing in the truth of who I am. So we're imitators until we become substance and we want to be substance of who he is. I don't want to shout out the things of Jesus. I want to live them till my life starts to disappear a little, till my opinions become weak, and His word becomes strong and very powerful in our midst. You know what Jesus says? He's he's so beautiful. Jesus says, "Ay ay ay," and it's a Jewish expression. Didn't you know that? Yeah, ay ay ay. What a generation! You have no sense of God. Can you imagine walking with Jesus, considering yourself his disciple, and now Jesus is telling you, you don't have any sense of God? This is heavy duty. I'm sorry. No focus to your lives. Now, you know, I always thought of focus when you focus that way. But Jesus is talking about focusing this way. You say, well, I can't. How can I focus, unless I'm in a mirror and I'm focusing that way, you know what I mean. But what he is trying to say to us once again, what a generation, no sense of God and no focus to your lives. In other words, you don't even know what it is that God has given you. You don't know what to do with what he's given you and much less know how to share what he has given you. In other words, This is one big mess, one big fiasco. But isn't it marvelous? He spoke so people could understand. And even when he tells his disciples, he lets them know. And what does he let them know? Just the way things are. He is wonderful because he's the greatest communicator that ever lived. And he still communicates through his word, through his spirit. And through our surrender to him, praise his holy name. Now, he's wonderful also because he settles the issues of life. Life has a lot of issues. And he settles those issues. There is nothing important to life that Jesus doesn't settle. And one of the issues that's important in life is the issue of authority. Authority. Who... The disciples said, Who gets the highest rank in God's kingdom? In other words, uh, there are 12 of us. Who's going to be number one? That's really what they're asking. That's really what they're asking. Uh, how do we know where we stand with you? What type of revelation will you give us as to the sense of power for us? Who gets the highest rank in God's kingdom? Folks in this life, isn't it amazing, position, power, and the money's derived from position and power. Let's go on to talk about authority. When you walk into a place, I think the first thing on anybody's mind is who is in charge. If the operation is terrific, if the operation is uh, streamlined, if the operation is flawless, let me put it that way. Have you ever gone into a factory, or have you ever gone into a place of work where everything is haphazard? You don't know who's who. You really don't. They cross over this way, they cross over that way, they push you, some say, hi, how are you? And others say, what are you doing here? And you're just, you're just sitting there and you're just absolutely frightened to death. What, 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 what? Who's in charge? Why? Because this is one of the important issues of life. And that's why the disciples very early in the ministry, they wanted to know who was gonna be the number one person. It was only 12. Well, who's gonna be number one? And it's interesting because it's always in the eyes of the one who feels he's number one that comes the question, who is number one? Who has the highest rank? How do we settle the issue of authority? Well, Jesus did it and and here's once again his teachings that makes us feel that we don't know if we're coming or going. He takes a child and he places this child in the middle and he says anybody receiving the childlike is receiving me remember that when he talks about childlike, he's never talking about childish. He's not talking about the kid that babusea. You know, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the normalcy of a child. A normal child. And the normalcy depends upon the age. Two-year-olds are one way. Six-year-olds are another way. Eight-year-olds are another way. Ten-year-olds are another way. And twelve-year-olds, whoa! they are another way. Yet they're all children. They're all children. He placed a child in the middle. And he says, look, look at this. Whoever receives one of these receives me. What is he doing? What is he doing? No child can run a factory. No child can run a kingdom. No child can run an authority, or power place. No child can run a church. So what are we talking about? No, no. He's taking us to square one, where he's not only talking about children, but he's talking about people that are willing to come into his kingdom, are you hearing me, and start over like a child. Did you hear me? You don't turn into a two-year-old, you don't turn into a five-year-old, you don't turn into a seven-year-old, you don't turn into an eight-year-old, you don't turn into a twelve-year-old. You're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, or 70, or 80. But you're willing to come and start like you were two. Do you catch that? He doesn't want you to go around acting like a fool, like a fool child. No, he wants you to act like a child acts because the world has just opened up to him. He loves colors and he loves sweet tastes. And he loves the people that surround him and he loves hugs and they kiss freely. What are we talking about? Yes, a child. A child that has awakened to his world. Well, I'm a 66-year-old child. And God says, are you willing to start from the beginning? This is a point of conversion. At 60, are you willing to be a child to start learning my kingdom? Because if you're coming in with your 60 years of big, powerful impressions, if you're coming in with your 60 years of smart Alex. And if you're coming in with your 60 years of power plays, uh, and if you're coming in with your manipulations uh, of 60 years old, uh, you're out of the ballpark. You got to come in willing to learn life all over again. 60 but looking good at 2. 60 but looking great at 3. 60 but looking fabulous at 65. Pastor Amy... And it's not being like a little child. No, it's not being like a little child. It's being like the big person you are. But with the child that has the appetite to open up and take in all of life's lesson, poquito a poquito, one step at a time, one step at a time. And that's the beauty. He doesn't know. Listen to this. He doesn't know a child, but he wants to learn. Have you given the kid new toys? Isn't that matchless? If you don't get it out of their hands quick enough, you won't have a toy. You'll have a disaster. But he's so anxious. He wants to pull that truck out. He wants to pull that little helicopter that's got about six pieces to it. And he wants to take it. And he looks at the picture and he starts punching it and putting in Hey, Hey, you just lost $27. Down the drain. Why? Because he's got to start where he starts. And that's where daddy comes close and says, Honey, look at the picture. And he looks at the picture. Look, honey, this goes here. And this goes here. And he's getting excited. No, he doesn't want to do it because he can't. Daddy, what did you do? There. Daddy, what did you do? Okay. And when the whole thing is done, and he watched so carefully. Maybe two or three times over, he'll have to watch Daddy again. But there'll come a moment where he'll yell, Daddy, Daddy, come over here! And Dad'll come running thinking he swallowed the propeller. And he says, what? He says, look, Daddy, I know. Pakata, pakata. Shhh! It works, Daddy, it works for me! And Daddy'll say, yes it does, dear. Hey, folks. Would you kind of think of Jesus for a minute? He wants, you to tell you, he wants to tell you that his plan for your life is going to work. Just don't try to put everything together today. Don't try to put in all the plugs. Don't try to turn all the propellers. Don't try to put in the batteries. You don't know how. Just take it. Just take it. And wait for him to teach you. But just know this, the package is yours. The promise is yours. What he said, it is yours. No one's gonna steal it from you. Just let him teach you. It's so hard to learn, especially when you're old. Oh, I get so angry at some things. I, I, I venture to do things and my hands don't ha- help because kind, they're kind of dead at the end. I don't know what happened. One of these days they'll wake up and I try to put things together, even a button through a suit and it doesn't work. Can you imagine little children trying so hard And he's got a kingdom out there of all us yo-yos trying to do it. We're trying to stand up before the world and say, whoa, we've got the package. Hey, we know how it works. Ay bendito. Will someone pick us off the ground? Will somebody, somebody hug us tight, please? We think we know and we don't know a thing. But he's willing to teach us. Listen, he mingles nothing with his knowledge. God mingles nothing with his knowledge but his spirit. We, we bring all our baggage with us. And then we challenge our new life. New life with our stealing, new life with our thievery, new life with our lies, new life with what else? With everything we do. Who hasn't done it? Who hasn't done it? There is no one guiltless in this auditorium. Oh, sister, are you accusing me? I'm not accusing you. I'm accusing myself. I'm accusing myself. And maybe I'm older than most of you. What am I trying to say to you? When God starts to teach you, there's no mingling of all the nonsense that we have. And that's why he said to us, you're never going to be able to do it alone. So when I send you, I'm going to send you anointed and filled with the best, the best discerner, the best accommodator, the best put it in place, sir. And his name is Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So don't worry about your gifts. Don't worry about what God has promised you. Don't worry about the vision you have before you. It's his. All you have to worry about is surrender. All we have to worry about is getting weak in the presence of God, hallelujah. All we have to worry about is being filled with the Holy Ghost. He is wonderful and he'll never leave us. He'll never leave us, hallelujah. It's the Holy Spirit that'll help us in this childlike start. And I'm so glad we don't have to do it alone. And then Jesus goes on to talk about us. And I love the way he talks about us. He says, don't abuse the childlike people. Don't abuse them. And we have a way of abusing. When people start anew in the Lord, sometimes we abuse them because we want them to be as smart as we are. And we don't know how dumb we are, so we're trying to make them smart. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's... it's, 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 it's mind-boggling, but listen to this. Jesus says, talking about those that have made up their mind to follow the Lord, that have made up their mind to take the hand of the wonderful one and not let it go. He says, if anybody gets in the way of these people, if any of us make them trip, if any of us make them fall, listen, I'm gonna come after them. Not anybody else. I'm gonna come after them. Please read the chapter 18, folks. Not now, but when you get home, chapter 18 of Matthew. I'll take care of them. Don't abuse them. And not only that, I found out something new in the scripture. I have always used the scripture of angels face God for children, but hey, I found out that angels face God for every newborn Christian. Everybody that's been born again has an angel that faces God for their growth, to be close to them. Sister, are you making this up? No. It's the revelation of the word of God in the book of Matthew and in the 18th chapter. Where he's saying, if anybody touches these newborn, if anybody touches them, Listen, it's better he take a rock, a rock, a millstone. You know what a millstone is? It grinds the corn. Tie it to your neck and throw yourself in the river with it. Because if you touch one of them, I'm coming to get you. God says that. I read this. I, I, was, I was torn apart yesterday. And during the week as I studied God's word, because that's what he's told me. He's told me to pray and, 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 and study the word. And I'm trying to be very faithful to God. God doesn't want anybody to abuse his children. He assigns angels that face him daily for the lives of new converts. And listen to this, it's God's will that not one perish. Have you ever said this? Now listen to me carefully, because this is heavy stuff. Ah, he's gonna go to hell. You're so fed up with someone that's so wicked. You're so fed up with someone that's disobedient. You're so fed up with someone that keeps denying Christ and cursing Christ that you're ready on the job to say, tell him, Hey, you, you're going straight to hell. You're going right to the pits. Oh, you know what? You know what? I got a new, I got a new word for you. It's not so. It's not so. It's not so. You, Your patient, gives up. Your patience gives up. But God has an everlasting and an eternal patience. patience. So what we have to do is kind of get behind the Father and say, Lord, as long as your mercy sustain him, I'll be good, I promise you. I'll be good, I'll obey. God has a will that not one of the new converts perish matter of fact guess what in this 18th chapter he establishes them as his priority no wonder he told us go into all the world and preach the gospel no wonder he always tells us to proclaim his gospel no wonder he tells us to be living examples of his gospel no wonder he wants us to look like him to act like him to walk like him to talk like him well, because that's the only thing that's gonna save people. Not you, but him and you. People seeing him in you. I think one of the most beautiful expressions I have heard in New Beginnings, that's our Wednesday gatherings, is when one gentleman came in and he says, I used to party hardy with that guy over there. He says, and I've been watching him for the last six or seven months, and he don't party no more. And he keeps after me. And he keeps telling me, come to the circle, come to the circle. And he said to himself, who mm, wants to go to that circle? He's no good for nothing. But he keeps coming after me. And then he comes to the circle. And guess what? He meets the master of the circle. His name is Jesus. Seen in every face of those that have been redeemed. Seen in every face of my alcoholics. uh, Seen in every face of my old drug addicts. uh, And he looks around and he gets dead scared. Because now it isn't only his friend. There are 44 of them sitting in a circle. Oh my God. This thing is catching. It's a sickness. Yeah. And many of them have gotten very sick and they're with us today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. (laughs) Folks in the same 18th chapter he is wonderful because he's the greatest communicator he is wonderful because nothing equals the redemption of mankind the greatest authority on the face of the earth the greatest power on the face of the earth is men and women that long that others be saved that's god's powerhouse those are God's, that's God's authority on the earth. And it's so beautiful. Now let me tell you something else wonderful about Jesus. He shows us God's will and God's way. When and how does God get serious? Oh, you've often heard this expression, man, he got down. Not you know, I, I listen to all this. Matter of fact, just the other day I found out the bad was good and that's been around for 15 years. Man, that's bad. And I thought to myself, oh, it's bad. Oh, that's awful, serious. No, I just found out, you know. But that's okay. Let me share something with you. Does God get down? You better believe he does. And now I'm going to tell you something you might never have heard before. So go to that chapter tonight. Go and reread it and read it. Matter of fact, if you've got about five versions, read it in the five versions. Because each one sheds just a wee bit more light. There is a divine registry. What? Huh? Who? Huh? Did you ever go to an important place where you have to sign in? Yeah. Most, most major offices, you have to sign in. And sometimes you sign in downstairs with the guards on duty and then they call upstairs and you sign in upstairs again and you say, Bleh. who do they think they are? I mean, what is this, Fort Knox? No, you've got to sign in. There is a divine registry. And in Matthew eighteen eighteen, 18, the scripture starts to talk about the things that bind on earth and the things that are bound in heaven. And the things that are loosened on earth, and the things that are loosened in heaven. Well, I always thought that you stand over somebody sick, and you bind the illness, and then you loosen it. And I get very confused. Sometimes I don't know when to bind, and I don't know when to loosen. Sometimes I wonder, is this the way it should work? I feel so faltering in faith. I'm so terribly confused. Now, studying this scripture, you know what it means? It's so simple. Your yes is your yes, and your no is your no. Your binding factor is your declaration of what you say. That's your binding factor. You know, once we find out that our words bind us, it's going to teach us to shut up. Have you ever said, not in a very loving way, but... in in a mad way, in an angry way. Listen, you, go to hell. How many have said it? Let me see your hands. Tiny hands, tiny hands, tiny hands. The rest of you, you know what you are, liars. Okay. Yes, oh yes. Because somewhere, at some time in our life, we have condemned people on the right, on the left, or all around us. We've condemned them. And the scripture says, be careful. Be careful. Why? Because you can't say what you please. God doesn't accept it. Once you know Jesus, once he is your Lord and master, you're not free with your mouth. Who says so? God says so. But I'm used to talking like this. Well, you got to get a new talk. You got to go into the childlike mode. Where mama says, if you say that again, I'm putting a bar of soap in your mouth. And some mothers did. My mother never waited for a bar of soap. My mother and father had an exercise of arm that was so swift you could never imagine. Bakata! Bakata! They never moved and they caught us. They never ran after us and they trapped us. Listen, I want to tell you something. Our yes is our yes, and our no's are our no's. And believe it or not, in heaven, they're binding. Well, I read this yesterday. Me volvi loca. I went a little nuts because all of a sudden I realized you know, you want to grow. Well, one of the things of growth is learning to talk. And that's what's so sad about this society. I really mean that. It's all right, a 15, 16 year old got their woes and their yays and their nos and their hoo and their yeah, hey, whoa. but that's not a language. You say, well, to us it is. No, it is not. Yo is not a name. It's not a name. And you say, well, well, the kids, fine, we accept it from our kids, but you know, if kids stay kids, they're retarded. And if they become men and women and they're still kids, they're past retardation. They're past retardation. They are uh, it's over. This is one of the things this 18th chapter talks about. It teaches us that words, now listen to me, folks. I never heard this before in my life. Words are eternal. Words are eternal. Words are eternal. Oh, my God. How can I retrieve from heaven all the crazy words I put up there? I just asked for forgiveness. And somehow whoever's in charge of erasing, do me the favor. Erase, but erase fast, okay? I don't want it to stay there. Now let me tell you. It's the same principle that is applied when Jesus says to us, what did he say? Prayers are heard in the corridors of heaven. Yes, he said that. In other words, when we pray, heaven is waiting for our prayers. In some cases, it's like sweet music. In other cases, it's like incense that's burning in his presence. But they're there forever with him. And he hears them on a continuous basis. Prayers stir the corridors of heaven. And then he goes on and he says, look, you want to really get heavy? If two of you agree, my father will do it. If two of you agree, my father will do it. And then he gets heavier yet. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll come down and I'll be with you. Oh, glory. Tell me he's not wonderful. We're just not spiritual enough to know that he's here, that he walks among us, that he talks to us, that he touches us and that he caresses us and that he tells us, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll lift your pain. I'll take it away. I'll put my joy in your spirit. I will turn your life inside out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise his holy name. His name is wonderful. Just wonderful. And guess what? He's wonderful in forgiveness. Isn't that that too much? I call this forgiveness a la Jesus. Yeah. A la Jesus. Greatest chef for forgiveness. A la Jesus. And how's that? Well, Jesus is finished telling a story that kind of perturbed, kind of perturbed the disciples. And Peter being the most vocal one, he says, you keep talking about forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And Peter's trying to tell him are a lot of people out there that bug us and we don't want to forgive them. And you know what he says? Peter says, well, all right, master, give us a break. Suppose I forgive seven times. How about it? Jesus looks over and says, Peter, seven times 70. What? I don't think he had a computer. I don't think he had a calculator. But it didn't take him long to find out that was 400 and how many? 490 times. He says, you've got to be kidding. More than the minutes in a day. What, what? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? And he says, No. No. And then he says something that lays us out and everybody can just crawl on us. Woe to the person. Woe to the forgiven who refuse to forgive. Woe to the forgiven who refuse to forgive. Then he gives a little story that shakes us From here to kingdom come. And why does it shake us? Simply because he lets us know. That when it comes to forgiveness. God is. An exhaust. In other words. There is no point to his exhaustion. Inexhaustible. He wants to forgive. The only thing that catches up with us in forgiveness and this is important, is that it only works if you forgive. If you don't forgive, there's nothing coming down the pike for you. Because your forgiveness depends on his forgiveness. You forgive, he forgives. You don't forgive, he can't forgive. Why? Because it is his nature. You say, well, it's my nature to not forgive. So, it's nature against nature. Oh, mijito, callate la boca. Child, be still. It's not nature against nature. It's humanity against eternity. It's human flesh against divine principle. And that's the most important thing in the world. We must forgive. And if we don't, we won't be forgiven. Now... It works both ways. If you've forgiven, then the other party hasn't. They've got to deal with their forgiveness. Because if they don't, it's not going to happen. Forgiveness depends on our ability to forgive. Say amen, people of God. So he is wonderful. Forgiveness, salah Jesus, all day long and for everyone. Guess what? Having to forgive people of so many wrong things. You know what that does for us? It cuts our ability to sin. Isn't that amazing? I've often said this to you, but now I'll say it biblically. There's lots of things I don't do because I'm afraid of God. There's lots of times that I behave because I know what's going to happen to me if I don't. Okay. But it's not that my nature says, I am totally surrendered, God. I ain't never going to do anything bad again. No way. No way. Listen, totally surrendered is that day when I'm laying in a beautiful coffin and use a lot of chiffon, honey, please. (laughs) So I look real pretty. Joe, give me the proper lighting, won't you please? I want all of that. And plenty of beautiful flowers. I won't smell them, but I'll see them. That's the day my journey's over. That's the day I have to stop forgiving. That's the day that I don't have to worry about anybody else. But while I breathe and while I live and while I have my being, I'm responsible to a God that says communicate the truth. Do it with your whole life. Don't get mixed up with your ideas of greatness on this earth. Don't get mixed up with everything that comes along and tries to teach you how to be. Don't get mixed up with the manipulations. Hey, folks, when I started in ministry, I had two major problems. My first problem was Joe. Hiya, honey. Yeah. I didn't want to hurt him. I really didn't. I don't think any, man, any woman marries a man to hurt them, to be over them, uh, to in any way be superior. And I said, Lord, I, I don't want to be a pastor because I don't want to hurt Joseph. I know what the pastor's position is. I don't want to in any way fail him because I know God gave that man to me. I'm so sure of it. With all the ups and downs, I'm still sure. I'm still sure. Why? Because, hey, God speaks. And I believe in a God that speaks. And I said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord was so sweet. He says, look, I'll take care of him. You take care of me. Now listen. Now listen, there's a catch to that. I'll take care of him. You take care of me. And guess what? let everyone see him, for there will be an abundance of love and strength for those that look upon him, and they will raise him high, higher than you could ever raise him. And I suppose God proves it to me every time he opens his mouth to sing. Sometimes he's been so bad that inside you make those little I hope he croaks. (laughs) Guess what? He never does. Anointed. Blessed. Why? Because that's God's man. Not my man. Praise his blessed name. So folks, hang in there. Hang in there. God is for real. He settles the issue of who is. Tell me. Who is the best communicator. His name is? Who teaches us true authority? Yes, he does. And who on the face of the earth registers everything that we ever say? And who is the great forgiver? Yes, the answer is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's why he is wonderful. Now would you say it? Jesus is wonderful. Wonderful. In any of those corridors of your life In any of those Travelings of your life Please keep in mind That he is for you And when you go to your home tonight And before you go to bed tonight The end of chapter 17 And the whole of chapter 18 Of Matthew Just read it and let the Spirit. Because you see, you're going to forget what I say My words are not important I want you to keep the words of the word Read it Read it. Read it until it becomes part of your soul and part of your life. His name is wonderful.